What's up, Anchor Crew? Okay, so here's the deal. It is still really hard for me to get on Anchor. <laughs> no, it's not really hard. It's just that I'm... Uh, I'm really wrestling with my life priorities, and I kind of always do, and I'm kind of getting really tired of it. I feel like I just want to just, like, pick two things and be like, that's what I do, and everything else can just do whatever. But I can't, because I have more than two things that are important to me, both because of my personality and because of my life choices, so <laughs> that's just how it's got to be. Anyway, today, today has turned into a different kind of day than I was thinking because I have some sick kiddos and so the plans that we had laid have been thwarted by the presence of random fever and sniffly cold type symptoms. So it's real low fevers, so it's kind of at this place where you're like, we could do a lot more, but I'm just sort of waiting to see which of the other kids are going to, going to fall uh, victim to this um, virus or whatever it is we got going on. So, so far it's been very mild, but enough so that you don't want to be like passing the germs to others, you know what I mean? So, anyway, I was sitting here making lunch bunch of randomness I'm throwing together because I need to go to the store <laughs> and uh, I thought about doing an anchor segment so I turned off my audiobook I'm currently listening to Tamara Pierce's um, I don't know if she wrote all of them I kind of feel like maybe she didn't but Tamara Pierce is one of the young adult um, authors that I like I appreciate the way that she writes about her mythical lands and stuff um, and there's a collection of, like, other tales from the lands of the Tortal and other things that she writes about. So there's, like, this short story compilation. That's what I'm listening to. So I was in the middle of listening to that. But I decided to turn it off and anchor instead because I was talking to a friend of mine this morning and we had to get off the phone because life beckons. And I don't feel like I talked enough. So <laughs> you guys get to benefit from... Spaghetti brain today. Um, oh, that's my oven. Okay. Um, yeah, I need to talk more about what's on my mind. And so that I don't forget, there's two things that I want to talk about. Uh, so this is more for me than for you. But um, coming up next <laughs> would be talking about homeschooling insecurities and how to navigate that um, as well as I just want to talk about how different the personalities are between me and my husband and how we navigate that so without further ado uh, I wish I hadn't said that but I do one take so that's gonna stay in um, I'm going to go ahead and launch into one of these. I don't know which one I'm going to do first. Hmm. Hmm. You will find out in a second. Okay. So, what in the world do I mean by personality clash in... Well, I don't know. Clash is a harsh word. Personality 
well, yes, I did use war in the description. <laughs> um, but I don't really mean they're like at war, war, like not between two people, just two personalities. Like the, the differences, like you have the, the difference of gender happening, which is already a lot. <laughs> and then you have the difference of personality type mixed in there. You end up with two extremely different perspectives, um, just sort of in general. So between Eric and I, um, those of you who've listened to me for a while know that I really like the Myers-Briggs personality test. I like personality tests in general. Um, I have a whole bunch of episodes on my station about that that I've saved over the last year. So fast forward this part, I guess, because you probably heard it, but on the Myers-Briggs, I am an ENFP, extroverted, intuitive, feeling, perceiving, ENFP. And Eric is an INTJ, introverted, intuitive, thinking, judging. Do you hear how different this is already? (laughs) Um, Also, I recently figured out that on the Enneagram, system. I am a four. Uh, so if that means something to you, we can be friends. (laughs) Um, I think four, it's been a while since I looked at the description, but I think the four is the one where like you're terrified of being boring or like you're terrified that like what you do is pointless or meaningless or something like that. And that's definitely one of my core fears. So, um, not sure what the wing is or anything like that. I haven't delved as deeply on the Enneagram yet, but I intend to. So I'm not sure what Eric is. He'd have to take it himself. I can't predict the Enneagram. I knew he was INTJ though. As soon as I stumbled across the Myers-Briggs stuff, I was like, oh, (laughs) yes. (laughs) And the reason that our relationship works is because we have such strong uh, emphasis on the end for both of us, we are both very intuitive. We both love to see how, um, oh, somebody, somebody described it on like a Pinterest pin that I saw where like you're either, so there's introverted, extroverted for the first one, and you're either intuitive or sensing for the second one. I think that's how you take in information. I think that's how it is. Yeah. And then the next one is um, thinking or feeling. And that's how you, uh, is it how you process it? I forget. Anyway, I'm not making a very clear case. The point is, is we're different. (laughs) And we're different, not just different, okay? Like there's different and then there's like polar opposite. And for three quarters of our personality type, we are polar opposite. So that makes things difficult (laughs) and it makes things difficult in a good way because we end up complimenting each other right where the other one has trouble or doesn't really see how they come across to others or something along those lines. That's when the other person is really strong. So it helps, you know, so when you put the two of us together, you end up with a really great couple of people who care a lot about the world and want to do all they can to make it better. Eric tends to focus on systems that can be improved and 
minimizing the margin of human error <laughs> in said system by telling everyone how to do it perfectly, which makes him sound like super judgy. I didn't mean it like that. I just mean like, he's like, the world would be better and you would be better and we would be better if we did it this way. I've already calculated how it's gonna turn out. So if you follow my wonderfully laid out plan, all will go so much better. Um, so he gets frustrated by like, he would hate Anchor. Let me just say that. Like he would hate trying to put things on Anchor only because <laughs> um, he would have to listen to, or he would hate listening to Anchor. I'll put it that way. Because he would have to listen to people like me rambling on, taking 15 million years to get to their point, And it would drive him nuts because it's not efficient. It's, it doesn't necessarily add to the purpose of what I'm doing. You know what I mean? Like he's that kind of person. So he is not, um, he doesn't have blinders on though. Like he sees the fact that there are weaknesses to that perspective. <laughs> and you know, he tries to learn as, as do I. Um, I'm the kind of person I look at the world and I say, you know what would make the world better is if we understood each other. <laughs> so let me try really hard and expend all of my emotional energy to understand you <laughs> exactly where you're coming from. And then we will all get along so much better. Um, that's kind of what happens in my head only without the weird accent. I don't know what that was from. So um, all this to say is that, okay, we've had a really eventful life not necessarily between each other, but just sort of circumstances outside of our control for the most part have been intense. <laughs> and some of it intensely good, some of it intensely hard, some of it intensely sad. So um, you put all of that together, we're both, I don't know, we have, we have our feet pretty solid in a foundation, so we're not easily like shaken, I guess. So uh, we team up well. I'm trying to like explain how different we are and explain how it stresses me out without like trash talking my husband is basically what's going down right now because I don't want to trash talk him because different doesn't mean bad. Okay, what is bad is the stress <laughs> that I go through when we try and talk about something. It may be something as stupid as what I made for dinner. You know, like it might be that dumb and it won't be like a judgy, like make you feel bad kind of a thing at all. It's more like, um, so for a very concrete example, last night I did some roast chicken in the oven, really simple, straightforward recipe that I just kind of threw together and it tasted good, but the chicken wasn't totally done the right way because some of, well, anyway, there were reasons why. <laughs> And I knew what those reasons were, but I didn't have time to fix it. So I just gave it to Eric and said, this is dinner, hoped for the best. And when I came home, he was like, it was kind of off. So I didn't really eat it. And I felt really bad, you know, um, that, that I made the chicken and nobody could really eat it. So I had to try and fix it and whatever. But before I did that, we had to have a conversation <laughs> about why it happened so that it wouldn't happen again. And now from my perspective, we're saying, you know, your attempt at cooking and serving our family was ruined <laughs> and it was a horrible job and therefore you are 
kind of a horrible person right now and you have to make up for it and make us happy with you again so that you know life can be once more at peace and from his perspective and honestly from a logical perspective all he's trying to make sure is that we don't go through this experience again because it's not making anybody happy and we all want to have a nice chicken dinner instead of a weird chicken dinner so logically speaking I should just be able to be on board with fixing the problem and not make it about me and like all this other stuff. So we talk about stuff like that a lot and it gets, oh, it just gets hard to focus on the problem instead of myself for me. And it gets hard for him to present what he sees in a way that isn't taken personally. So it gets into like this weird place where you're like, well, whose fault is it then? And then you're like, maybe that's the wrong question because maybe it's not about whose fault it is, but it's more about like, did I do the best I could to be kind and loving and listen? Or was I defensive or was I aggressive or whatever, you know? So it's just something that's been on my mind again recently because when we start having more of those conversations about stupid things, to me, that just says that we are forgetting to understand each other. <laughs> and that's sort of supposed to be my strong suit in the relationship. So I try to be sensitive to that because a lot of times once I start putting more effort into the understanding, then Eric is like, oh yeah, that's the thing that we do is try to understand each other. And that is actually helping because look you're not crying this time and we're talking about it and you're not crying and I like that you're not crying so yes I am on board with this understanding train so you know and I depend on his opinion so much because his opinion is so honest and it's so vetted and it's so researched that when he has an opinion about something, it carries a lot of weight because if he doesn't care, then he just seriously doesn't care. And that's kind of a relief. But if he does care, then there's something valuable there for me to see that I probably wouldn't see on my own. So, you know, we, we's a good pair. We, we, we pair up pretty nice. It's good. It's good. It's good. So I take courage from the fact that it's good when we work together, but it's hard work. <laughs> And I keep coming up against that and I keep telling myself most things that are of any value are hard work anyway. So why are you surprised? Stop being surprised. It keeps happening. Stop it. But anyway, I guess I just needed to get off my chest again the fact that we are so different. Y'all don't even know, okay? You don't even know how different we are. But you also don't know how crazy awesome it is when we like are on the same wavelength like that is amazing whether it's something goofy and stupid or whether it's something you know having to do with the world and how it works or whether it has to do with friends we care about who are hurting and we both see think we see how they could make it better so I don't know and I understand where he's coming from too when he wants people to make the right choices because that was totally me in high school I used to get offended with my friends when they made stupid choices like how dare you besmirch our friendship by making a ridiculous decision 
you know, and that wasn't a healthy place to be. <laughs> and I had to grow out of that because it didn't come from a good place for me. But um, for Eric, it comes from a place of understanding, understanding the same goals that you have and pushing you to get to the goal and looking at all this stuff that might like hurt your feelings and be like, you know what, that doesn't really matter because at the end you'll have your goal. So you might be crying, but you will make it in the end. <laughs> and I think about our kids and I'm like, oh, Jesus, help us. Because <laughs> I can just see him being like, you want to go to what school and do what now? And how's that going to get your goals anywhere? But he'll probably surprise me and be a lot more understanding than I assume he will. So... I guess the point for me is that this whole chunk of time was to talk myself back around to appreciating Eric and appreciating our difficult conversations because I know that they invest into our unity as a couple. They invest into our teamwork. They give us an edge when it comes to communication because we have to work on it literally all the freaking time. So, um... I guess that's the reason why I needed to talk about it today because it was kind of stressing me out how how much I felt we were misunderstanding because that tells to me that sounds like failure but it's not it's really not it's just a time of growing and growing is uncomfortable and that's okay so I have plenty of times to look back on and say yep that was a rough patch but we made it through and on the other side it was better so <sighs> okay okay I'm ready to grow up a little again. <laughs> I hope. So hey, here's a thought. If you've taken a personality test, what type are you? And did you think that it was accurate? Or like what parts of it did you think were accurate? Also, with the accuracy that you saw, did that help you in your real everyday life in any way? Because I am telling you, these personality tests have helped me understand my friends so much more and appreciate their strengths and have grace for their weaknesses and see how we fit together and what parts of our friendship kind of propel the, the friendship forward, you know, and what parts of it I am uncomfortable with and why. Like, I have a lot of, um, e, like, ES, ES friends, a lot of extroverted and introverted um, sensing friends. So instead of seeing big picture things, they see very practical things right in front of their face that they can actually interact with and change right now, rather than me who's thinking about like my great grandchildren. So <laughs> not, and, it, and of course, none of this is like to the exclusion. It's like what comes to the surface naturally, you know? Um, did I say conclusion or exclusion? I meant exclusion if I didn't say that. Okay, anyway. Um, so it helps me have patience with them when they're talking about very practical things for a long period of time because that kind of burns me out sometimes. But I have patience with it because I know that's how they're participating with the world around us and that it's something important to them. So I listen. And I understand not to push it when I'm feeling very, you know, intuitive-y and I want to talk about 
lots of big problems that we can't fix. And I could see the glassy film going over their eyes because they're like, and I'm checking out because there's nothing I can do about that right now. Um, so I, not that I don't ever bring those things up, you know what I mean? But I do try to be careful about, um, pushing people, you know, because I want the friendship to flourish because I care about these people and they care about me. So that's really helped. I know Eric's had it help him a lot in his leadership positions, both at work and at church, just helps him to have grace for other people and their personality differences and recognizing that different doesn't equal wrong. Sometimes people are wrong, true, but that's not because they're different. That's because they don't understand something or because they've chosen to do something from a wrong motive or something like that. It's not just because they're different from you. And um, it sort of gives a concrete hook to hang our understanding of people on having these personality types as a springboard for understanding our relationships with others. So that's why I really like it. If you like it or if you've never tried it, I'm curious to know what your response is to that. Um, I don't know. Maybe we're just like super nerdy. I know Momac on here on Anchor, he loves talking about this stuff now and then. Um, I don't really hear a whole lot of other people talk about it. There's Ashery definitely has sometimes because that was in her in her Anchor name, but I don't know if it still is. So, yeah, interesting things. Oh, and the other thing, one more last thing that made me laugh. I love to look at um, pins on Pinterest that come from like Tumblr and different places about stereotypes of the personality types. I think they're hilarious because of how true they are about 85 to 90% of the time. And one of the ones that I saw just this morning that made me laugh so much was ENFP problem number who knows. Oh, I have my notifications turned off. Why does it keep giving me text notifications? Whatever. Sorry. Anyway, it said ENFP problem number, you know, 487. You're constantly obsessed with INTJs. And I'm like, oh my gosh, so me, my husband, my best friend. I'm obsessed. I am obsessed. I love how secretive and mysterious and ridiculously hard it is to get to know them. And I find it a challenge and I absolutely dig it. So anyway, uh, that is it for this section. And now we's gonna move on. So now we jump into the topic of insecurity because I feel like that is becoming a common theme amongst all of my conversations for my entire life. I am becoming a professor of insecurity. No, um, here's the thing, right? One of the reasons that I was thinking about me and Eric and our relationship and our marriage with the personality difference thrown in there just for fun, um, it's because we actually had this conversation that I found difficult about uh, the way we're homeschooling our kids. And it wasn't about like, I don't know, I say that as if it was like this big dramatic conversation. It really wasn't. It was really more about tweaking what we're already doing so that it fits our kids better. Um, so really it was a kind of a positive thing. <laughs> it was just that my insecurities made it a lot more tense than it needed to be. And I just, oh, I just got to talk about it. Like, I, 
I want to talk about the fact, okay, let's do two pieces here. I'm going to break this one up a little more. Otherwise, I'm going to rabbit trail for days and I don't have time for that. So problem number one to me was the fact that insecurity bleeds into my parenting so much and I can't keep coming from that place because really we say insecurity it's essentially it's just fear it's just self-centered fear <laughs> um and that's not the place that i'm supposed to be coming from perfect love kicks fear to the curb so you know we'll talk about that in a minute but the the second part of it that was i don't know kind of knife twisting me in the heart uh, while we were trying to have this normal conversation about it, it wasn't anything that Eric said. Everything he said, I agreed with 100%. It was just that he was looking at it very like, well, this isn't happening, so we need to be doing this, which means that you need to be doing this, you know. And to me, all I was hearing was a bunch of implications that he wasn't saying at all. Things like, well, this isn't happening because you're not doing it right. And so now we need to do this because... I have to take it over and now you're going to do that because I told you to and you don't know how to come up with it on your own. That never happened. Like that part of the conversation never happened. I made it up in my own head because of my fears. So the other thing that I wanted to talk about was homeschooling fears in particular and um, just the process of tweaking and having to separate what is an actual observation versus what is an observation based out of fear. So those are the two things that I kind of want to cover right now. And uh, I'm going to break it up so that I can hopefully get through it a little bit faster. <laughs> okay, real talk. There are not very many times that I believe that I am a good mom, that I'm good at my job, that I'm loving my kids exactly the way that I should, that I'm balancing life in a way that, you know, gives my family its best chance to move with success and love into the world. There are not very many times that I can look around and say with confidence, I'm doing a good job. And... I have a lot of thoughts about that. <laughs> um, I have thoughts about the cultural emphasis on moms right now, especially in the lack of strong father figures. Um, our culture does not, does not um, lift up fathers right now, and it is missing fathers and I think that does put a lot of extra pressure on moms to sort of be everything because there's no guarantee that fathers will do their job. So we think, oh, well, now we have to do it all ourselves. But that's speaking in very broad terms. Um, I think that cultural aspect definitely affects me, but I don't think that it bothers me very much. It kind of just makes me uncomfortable whenever I think about it, but it's not something that hurts me regularly. By far the thing that hurts me most is myself and my twisted perception of what I'm doing and 
the self-deception that I go through as well to insulate me from my own opinion of myself. It's just a lot of inward yuck. <laughs> um, and it frustrates me because I know that like I, I am, I'm insecure because um, with my firstborn, I had a pretty out of the blue experience with postpartum depression and I didn't know that that's what was happening. And if anybody had asked me at the time if I felt depressed, I would have said no because I didn't know what that meant. I thought it meant like I'm sad in a corner crying all the time. And I cried sometimes, but I figured that was just hormonal. But I experienced a separation of emotions from me and from my baby that was pretty significant for not a huge amount of time, but at a pretty crucial time. So um, not to go too much deeper into that, I can at some point, but because I don't mind talking about it. But um, ever since then, I've been insecure about my relationship with my oldest. I still feel like I'm trying to make up for that divide that happened for no more than a couple months the first year of her life that she doesn't remember <laughs> and um i just i get insecure about not um keeping myself open to my kids which is a weird thing because i am a fairly open person but but it's a controlled openness, if I'm honest. Um, in the sense that I'm open in order to give you the impression of myself that I think is accurate. I'm not quite as open. I'm sorry, guys. There's like this whole texting conversation happening and I can't, I can't get my phone to understand that I want it to turn off. So sorry about that. I'm not going to stop now um I, I guess uh, I don't remember what I was saying but I guess what I'm trying to, to explain is that I'm not as open about being vulnerable in ways I hadn't expected you know how that happens sometimes like you're friends with somebody or you're married or you're in a close relationship and all of a sudden they turn to you and say did you know that you do this thing? And you're like, what are you talking about? No, I don't. And then you sit there and you think about it and you're like, no, I, I, I don't. And then you think about it at 3 a.m. that night and you're like whispering to yourself in the dark, I don't do that, do I? And then the next week you're thinking about it and you're like, oh my gosh, I totally do that. That's horrible. Has anybody else had that experience? Because I have that experience. <laughs> um, and it, yeah, I'm familiar with that, with that time. So, you know, that part of being vulnerable is still very hard for me, for sure. I think that's probably true of most people, if not everyone. And I guess that part of the insecurity is that I'm afraid of who I am. Like, I'm afraid of the gross parts of me. I'm afraid of the dark parts of me. I'm afraid of the sin that so easily entangles me. I'm afraid of looking at myself accurately. 
because although looking at myself accurately means appreciating who I am, who I've been made to be, who I've grown to be, who I am continuing to grow into being, <laughs> um, the purpose that I was made with by God, the determination that the people around me have to help me see that good person not even just that good person, but the person I was originally designed to be, right? Even though all of that is there, you can't look at that without also seeing all the stuff that's not supposed to be there. And I don't like looking at that part. <laughs> I don't like it. I don't like considering I may be lazy. I may be a lazy person. There may be part of me that is lazy. And that's the other thing. Well, okay, but there, you know, that's not the only thing. It's not like I'm getting worked up into knots over being lazy, but that's just an example of one of the things I don't like to admit to myself. Um, I don't like to admit to myself that sometimes I can be manipulative. I hate manipulative people. So where does that leave me? You know, if I'm being manipulative, now I hate part of myself. Ugh, that feels horrible. Sometimes I have to admit to myself that I am self-centered, that I am very self-centered. And I mean, sure, everybody is, but when you're looking at your own self-centeredness as objectively as you can, oh my gosh, it's so gross. You're like, no, that's not what I'm, ew, yuck, stop it. <laughs> um, but you know, to talk myself back around here, the reason that I say that insecurity probably has more to do with self-centered fear than anything else is because you want to protect yourself. And thinking about things that aren't nice about yourself is being vulnerable. And it is looking at yourself and saying, nope, that part's got to go. But I also was challenged by something that I happened to say on Facebook <laughs> like five years ago or something, three years ago. Um, but came up on my feed a few days ago and it was a passage of scripture I don't remember where but it's a passive passage of scripture that says that it's no longer I who do it but sin living in me and there's a war being waged between me and my sin and it's it was so crucial for me at that moment when I read that and that's the reason I posted it to realize that where I sin and where I mess up and where I struggle is not who I am. Like I need to stop taking it on as part of who I am. Like I may struggle with laziness, but that's a sin that needs to be taken out because it doesn't belong to me. It's not who I am. So I think if, I think if we were to say insecurity needs to be replaced by something, which I think believe it does because when you remove things you create a vacuum you got to put something in there or something worse could come back um at least that's how i think of it so if we were going to replace insecurity with something i think it would just have to be straight up love because love is the thing that kicks fear to the curb and true love is putting other people first so that's the preachy part of me <laughs> that comes out and says here's the solution and then the everyday part of me kind of cringes and goes, that sounds hard. <laughs> so 
that's kind of where I am with the insecurity part of it is that I see you. I see you need to go. I see I need to replace you with something positive and better and aligning with God. But I also see that that's going to be like 10 million decisions within the space of the next two years or something before I even feel like I've gotten a foothold, you know, over the, just over the current insecurities I see. That's the other thing. You get rid of one, another one seems to pop up. You're playing whack-a-mole with your own spirit self. Anyway, the point is, um, <laughs> I am simultaneously hopeful and, oh, and needing to go attend to my kids who are screaming in frustration over something and simultaneously struggling with the understanding that it's just going to be hard work. Again, here we go. Hard work. This is what the spaghetti thought should have been titled is life is hard work. Get over it. All right. So part two of this conversation, by the way, I took care of the kid issue. It was play, not frustration. So everything's fine. Um, <laughs> the second part that I want to talk about was specifically homeschooling and insecurity because it's a whole twisted up mess. <laughs> You have all your parenting mixed in with your educational goals and and your self-worth as a person, and you kind of mix them all together and then look at the mess and go, wait a second, what did I sign up for? Um, specifically for me, so here's the deal, right? Like with our homeschooling, what I wanted to do when they were young was unschool, okay? It, it's also called child-led learning, and it's really hard, <laughs> as a matter of fact, because you have to have like a constant touch on the pulse of each of your kids and of your family as a whole, as well as yourself, in order to be sensitive to the needs and interests of everyone around you. It is very difficult. It is very intuitive and it requires a, a very strong um, character. Um, it doesn't sound like it. It sounds loosey-goosey. It is not loosey-goosey. <laughs> it is like the most hands-on approach to homeschooling you could ever do. Because, um, well, anyway, we could talk about that another time. Uh, so that's what I wanted to do. So I kind of sort of started doing that because I loved the idea that we approach all of life as a learning process and we have value in all kinds of interests. I don't know, just thinking of it in those terms was very exciting to me. It meshed more with um, my approach to things because I, I like to do things more organically and relationally motivated and all that stuff. So it seemed like a really great fit. Um, but as the years went on, I saw and Eric saw that we needed a more balanced approach for our family. Um, absolutely no shade at unschoolers who do it because I wish I could be you, <laughs> but I can't, uh, only because my kids have inherited a lot of my personality. Um, and they've also inherited a lot of Eric's personality. And that means that structure actually works in our favor instead of fighting against us. And it, that's not to say that unschooling is without stru structure either. It's just, um... For me, I needed, and also for my kids, different reasons, we all needed a more, um, what do I want to, a more 
we needed a few outside standards instead of just our inside standards. Um, because left to ourselves, we kind of have like, I don't know, people talk about like addictive personality. And I feel like Eric and I both kind of have a tiny little sprinkle of that. Not when it comes to substances, although I guess maybe you could say there's a food issue for me. But not medically, just I eat emotionally. But like, who doesn't? Anyway, the point is, um, Eric and I both sort of tend to obsess over things. <laughs> and not in like a a constructive, ooh, I'm really investing into who I want to become as a person kind of obsessed. No, like we obsess over stupid, fluffy stuff that doesn't really matter and actually keeps us from doing the things we want to do. So because neither one of us tends to self-regulate our interests unless someone else is like telling us to, um, that seems to work better for me as the educator and for my kids as they learn. So all of that to say, we kind of tend to fall in the relaxed homeschool slash eclectic homeschool group, which is sort of like all the people who wish they could unschool, but can't give up their um, schedule because without the schedule, they don't have the discipline to do the unschooling. <laughs> so uh, shout out if you are one of those. Um, yeah, so the point is, uh, what we do for school is I look at all the resources that I like and I pick and choose for each of my kids which ones they need to do on their own and I pick a few subjects that we kind of do together sort of one room schoolhouse style and their responses to that material is based on their ability and age. So for example for science my two oldest have notebooking um, things that they do connected with the curriculum and or the curriculum the textbook is what i mean um so they're expected to have you know full sentences neat handwriting um, listening for keywords that kind of thing um, my middle two are free to use a plain journal and they draw a picture label it for whatever we're talking about because we're doing animals this year a little bit of sea creature biology um and then my younger two are free to draw with us or play quietly <laughs> or go read a book or take a nap or whatever needs to happen. So that's kind of how we approach school. They have their workbook stuff that they have to do for math, for uh, reading, comprehension. Um, they have library books they're expected to read because they picked them out you know, that kind of thing. And then we do science and history and Bible and geography and art and music all together. Um, and I supplement all of that with whatever I think is necessary. So I probably forgot a few things because we kind of do a lot. So, um, but recently <laughs> I have discovered that we're not really meeting the goals that I had. And it's not that we're far from them, it's that we're just kind of plateauing is really the issue. We're kind of plateauing. We've gotten comfortable, we have our routine, we go through it pretty much every day. You know, every now and then we do something different and that's nice. So we need to take it up a notch. Okay, uh, sorry for the pause. <laughs> I had to stop and do something and now, 
I'm trying to remember where I was because I really don't want to listen to all seven minutes of this and then figure it out. So I was saying something about us plateauing, basically. And we need to go to the next level. So in order to go to the next level, I need to push more um, with my kids. Like I am very, with educating my kids, I tend to be more on like the nurturing-ish side of it and not so much on the pushy side of it. I have expectations, but as long as they're met, I believe in the value of that. So I let kind of let uh, the pushing side of it go. It's not even a conscious decision. It's totally subconscious. I'm like, oh, well, we do this every day. So it's going to start to feel normal, you know? And I think, I think when it starts to feel normal needs to be my red flag of, oh, time to push, <laughs> time to go to the next level. Eric's a lot better about that. So that's what we were talking about the other night when I was starting to feel so upset. And I was feeling upset because to me it was, you know, we're not hitting our goals. Oh no, I did something wrong. And it wasn't that I did anything wrong. As a matter of fact, I'm really proud of how we did this year so far. It's just that we can do better and we should try to do better. And we're not really right now pushing towards anything in particular. So now I'm trying to figure out what that looks like. And that is the scariest thing to me because I don't, if I can't visualize something, then it just starts to feel like this weight of pressure I can't get rid of. So I need to have a first step. And I'm really struggling. I will not lie. I am struggling to find that first step. And part of it is, again, feeling like I'm not adequate um, as a mom, as a homeschooler, as you know, being myself. <laughs> so it's not to the point where I'm in despair or I hate myself or anything like that. I've been there before. Oh, baby, have I been there before? Um, it's not like that. It's just the, the constant obstacle of me getting in my own way, I guess. Um, I guess I, I want to know... Okay, I know where I want us to go with our education, but I don't know how to get us there. So I need like someone to be like, look, if you just add this or take 10 minutes each day to do that, then things will shift and things will change and things will go the direction you're hoping for. But nobody can tell me that because I'm the only one here at home actually doing it every day. Not even Eric can really tell me what he thinks because he doesn't, experience it the way I do he experiences it through what we say and stuff so I don't know and here's the other thing is that I think he's feeling a little left out because the kids don't really like talking about their school a whole lot you know because they did it that day they just want to be done with it and I think that's true of homeschoolers and not homeschoolers um it was true of me when I was growing up and it was true of all my friends, so therefore it must be true of everyone. No. Um, so I'm thinking about, you know, how can we present what we did for the day in a way that the kids don't feel like it's punishment and in a way where Eric can feel like he's part of what's happening here at home every day. And then um, how can I push them so that I'm not... <clears throat> wow. When I say push, I don't mean like, force them to do stuff that they hate so that I'm 
cramming facts into their waiting brains. Like that's totally against everything I believe in as an educator. If you need to acquire a tool in order to learn something else, fine. You know, repetition is a great tool. I'm not against like memorizing facts or anything like that. But cramming things into our kids' brains just because they're there and can is not healthy. <laughs> um, you can teach a two-year-old how to read, but should you teach a two-year-old how to read? I think there's a case that maybe you shouldn't. If a two-year-old is showing interest in reading and would like to learn to read, that's something else. But making sure that they read by age three, that's a different animal. That's completely different. So anyway, um, when I say push, I'm not talking about that kind of push. I'm more talking about the kind of push that you do as a parent, really. Okay, I keep getting interrupted and now I forget what I was going to say again. Um, essentially, I, I have... Oh, it's hard. Hmm, okay. I love to read. And Eric doesn't necessarily love to read, but he loves a good story. So he'll put in the time for a good story. And he was noting the other day that none of our big kids who can read easily are putting in the work to enjoy a good story without being told to do it. And he kind of thought that at least one of them out of the top three would be interested in books considering who their parents are and considering how much we read. Um, and I understand where he's coming from. I personally think that's kind of an emotional way of looking at it, which is a weird thing to say about Eric, but um, I think that I, I've, I've laid down the idea that my kids need to look like me in their interests in order for me to gauge. Okay, go do 10 more. You're, nope, you're halfway there. You're halfway there. 10 more. I'm learning about putting laundry away. Um, my kids don't have to have my exact same interests in order for me to consider my parenting a success. My kids don't have to love to read in order for me to count our, their education a success. They just have to know where their resources are and they, I really want them to love to learn and that's it. So if they're not interested in reading, I don't consider that a failure. But I understand also where Eric's coming from because it's just... It's such a common um, gauge, you know, to look at kids and be like, oh, yes, you love to learn because look at you reading books without anybody telling you to for hours on end, you know. And it's not really a fair assessment, <laughs> but it's one that we make. And so I understand where he's coming from. But at the same time, I do objectively see that I could push them a little more my thinking has been, if I push them, then I'm, I'm afraid that they will hate it. If I push them at all, I'm afraid that they will turn around, hate reading, and never do it again if, unless I force them to. That's like the worst case scenario. And I think that my thinking there is flawed because of the fear. I know my kids. Maybe on paper it sounds good that if I push them, they'll hate it. But I know my kids, and I know that they respond to pushes. It's like... um. We always say Eric is more of a coach and I'm more of like a cheerleader maybe, although that's weird because I always hated the cheerleading thing. 
But I'm definitely more like on the sidelines, like, yeah, we can do it. Go team. And Eric's more like, you want to win? Well, then get your butt over there. You know what I mean? (laughs) So, um, yeah, I think that there's room for me to push my kids. I just don't know what else to do because I've done everything I can think of. And um, I just, I don't know. I, I don't know. I don't know. There's a lot of different directions you could take. And that's kind of where it gets hard because there's different directions and there's different kids who learn differently and have different interests and who, you know, oh, it's just a lot. It's a lot. I'm happy with our progress in a lot of different areas, but I also think that I need to stop being content with just happy and maybe try and set my sights a little higher on uh like i don't know impressed maybe something like that so So anyway (laughs) this whole segment is probably going to sound so disjointed and weird because i keep having to pause oh and i keep telling myself it's time to get off okay well anyway i guess the point is i'm struggling right now and um when i realized that i was struggling it really kind of put me down for a minute Um, I'm not in that place so much anymore. I'm more kind of looking at it analytically now and looking for solutions more than feeling better, uh, which I think is a better idea for me right now. Uh, Feeling better can come later. (laughs) We need to actually make some positive strides. Um, But yeah, there's a lot of different things that I could tweak. And tweaking is, it's a vulnerable thing because you have to admit that something you're doing could be improved on. And when you're homeschooling, you kind of already feel like you have to prove yourself constantly. I don't know why that is, but you do. Uh, Even when you have really supportive friends and family, you still feel like you have to prove it, that you're doing a good job. So, I don't know. It's time to put down. You you, You can't live there. Like, you can't keep trying to prove it. Like, that's not fair to your kids, and that's not true to your educational goals, and everything else. It's not about you, you know? So we're back to hard work and we're back to don't be self-centered and we're back to love others more than yourself. Cool. Everything I needed to know, I learned in Sunday school at age five. (laughs) It's so true. All right. I guess that kind of wraps it up. So to conclude this spaghetti train that we've been on, which has been a little heavy today, um, I guess I just want to know, I don't know, I guess I want to know that, that it's this hard for other people as well. I know that it is, I know, but it's always encouraging to me when I hear people talk honestly about how difficult they find it to be themselves. And I guess that's a weird thing to be encouraged by, but it just lets me know that it's appropriate for it to be hard. You know what I mean? Because sometimes when it's hard, that in itself feels like a failure, (laughs) which isn't fair um, or accurate or true. Um, Good things take a lot of effort. And that's just something that I sort of constantly need to be reminded of. So if there's something that you find difficult, but you are working through, please let me know how hard is that for you? 
Like, is it annoying, hard, or is it excruciatingly difficult? Or do you self-sabotage? I do that. <laughs> I do that a lot. That's what happens when I escape to my phone. That's self-sabotage. Like I said before, it's like hiding from your own um, understanding of yourself so that you don't have to feel bad about who you are. You just pretend that there's no problems at all. Yeah, that's not good. That's not healthy. Working on that one. So... That is all I have for now, and I think I will probably spend some time listening to what you guys have to say today because I am missing out on so much stuff because I don't sit down and listen. My books have been too interesting to me recently. I've spent all my free time doing my books. So reading, I mean, not writing. I should be writing books. That's a different podcast. (laughs) All right. And so I guess for now, this is the conclusion of the spaghetti train. And we will reconvene when it is convenient for me. Hey, Victoria. So this is in response to kicking out insecurity part one. And this dynamic you talked about with Discovering something about yourself that you didn't know happens very frequently within the marriage circle. And one of the things I found out about myself was something that just kind of happened passively. But what I found out is that I don't contact people unless I need something. Like family, friends, loved ones. It is not until I need something. And then when I get a hold of them, I'll... I'll do the small talk and and the particulars of introduction and weather and how you doing and then I'll creatively lay it on them and this was a shock to me it was embarrassing and even hard for me to share right now so I'm going to get under this table oof yeah that mhm i think you're right i think marriage is probably the most illuminating when you wish it wasn't relationship that we have um on this planet uh i think i don't know like it's it's funny you talked about being embarrassed i think that's a big part of it for me too i also get very embarrassed when people point out things about me that i didn't realize i was doing but i totally do um i have had friends point that out to me before um The worst is when I accidentally hurt people's feelings. Like I say things and I say them from a place of honesty, but the way that it comes across is that I don't care. (laughs) And um, my wonderfully sensitive friends have had many different occasions have had to tell me, you really hurt my feelings when you said this. And I know you don't mean to hurt my feelings, but... It did. (laughs) And then I have to say I'm sorry. And then I do feel excruciatingly embarrassed. I have an issue with being embarrassed in the first place. So that doesn't help. Um, But I attribute that actually. I attribute the way that I take embarrassment um, so personally and want to crawl into a hole and never be heard from again for a while. Um even about stupid little things, 
It's, I, I think that a lot of it is because I was an only child for most of my childhood. My only brother is 11 years younger than me, so there really wasn't, and he, and he's an Asperger's guy, so like he doesn't get, or, well, he does now, but he didn't use to get humor because that's actually a pretty complicated social skill that we develop as people, and uh, it kind of assumes that you have an innate understanding of where other people are. And what would come across as a surprise and where the line is between funny and mean. So nobody in my family ever teased. Like we weren't the kind of family that would like pick on each other. Because we were all super serious. We were all very sensitive. We were all like not from families where either. Well, my mom was from a family that did tease. But it wasn't like nice teasing. It was like they were just mean. (laughs) So, So she hated it. And then my dad came from a family where they didn't really do that. They kind of pranked each other, but that was mostly it. And so uh, me and my brother didn't really tease each other. So I didn't grow up around people that would tease me. So when I feel that, like, everybody's looking at me, people are laughing at me, or like, oh, no, I'm cringing because I did something stupid. Like, I didn't have a lot of that growing up. I was able to hide when I was stupid pretty easily. (laughs) So... When it's put right in my face like that, yeah, that it's hard to deal with. It really is because, I don't know. I think it's, I think the worst is when like you have really good intentions, but they go horribly, horribly wrong. That's when I think it's really hard because you're not, you know, you're not, if you were being callous or if you were having a bad day or if you were, you know, just not thinking You know, at that point, you can say sorry from a place of like, whoa, I had no idea. But when you come from a place of like, I was trying to help, and then you realize that you did the exact opposite of that, that is the worst for me. That is when I feel like I should just leave the country (laughs) and never look back. (laughs) Um, Because then I feel like there's this trial period where you have to prove that you've learned your lesson. And if you haven't, you know, then they get to pick up on it again. And then you go through the whole thing over again. So I'm constantly like walking on glass, trying not to do it again. And like, it's a whole thing. It's a whole thing. So, but I don't know. It's probably not as bad as it feels is the biggest thing to realize. Because usually people know that you're not coming from a bad place. And that does account for something. So, anyway... Let's try, let's try to keep our, our chin up <laughs> as we grow <laughs> and realize that everybody else is growing too. So it's not like we're the only ones messing up. So concerning the personality test, I'm sitting here in the study room. Uh, looking at Clifton Strengths for Students, a link I got from the school that they give out, and I've been forgetting to take the test over and over again, which may say something about my personality. And I was thinking about this because of what you were talking about with uh, the ENFP and all that good stuff. I have a hard time with these tests because the assessments that I make, I think, are based on what I want to be or what I think I am. And so I wonder if someone outside of myself would be a more accurate assessment. Even outside of the spouse, I I almost wonder if I were to have a friend. Um, Do you think 
that would be an accurate reading. Or maybe, I don't know. So anyways, um, that's my thoughts. Okay, so this is pretty legitimate. I also struggle with this. Um, I would say, well, let me think. Okay, so for me, I struggle with it because I tend to um, count the details as too significant. So like, I'm like, oh, well, I may not be clean all the time, but there was that one time where I felt really satisfied by when my house was clean. And then I'll take from that be to mean that my answer should therefore be that I love to clean. You know what I mean? And it's like, mm, no, that's really not true. Uh, you're learning not to hate it. That's not the same thing. I find um, thinking about it in terms, when I come across a question and I'm not sure immediately whether it's true of me or not, um, I kind of go through like a breakdown of it maybe where I'm like, okay, um, how often is this true of me? Most of the time, some of the time, a little bit or not so much. Right. And, and I, if I pick like a degree of which it sort of gives me an idea of like whether to tip that scale to a yes or a no, if that's the only options offered. And then um, if I'm still kind of stuck and I'm not really sure, then I try to imagine what Eric would say or I'll actually ask him. So I'll kind of do a phone a friend in my head. Um, and what else do I do? If I'm still stuck and I, I'm still like not sure, then I remind myself that it's only one question <laughs> and I just pick one and move on. Um, I think the thing to remember is that you're not, trying to get the absolute truth about yourself you're trying to get a clue about yourself that's about it because no personality test can ever explain who you are ever it's all just a, a springboard there are some things that I do that I like that I say that have nothing to do with being an ENFP or an Enneagram type 4 or any of it those are just patterns of behavior that I can point to because of how my brain and my heart are tend to be ordered most of the time they're they're propensities they're tendencies they're not absolute truths about who I am you know what I mean so I think um having a friend near you or letting them know like hey I'm about to take this test it's going to be for like the next half hour can you just be on call and text me back if I ask you a random question about myself <laughs> And, uh, and just use that sort of as like a clue into the pot. That's kind of my approach. Um, when Eric does it, he doesn't ask for any opinions whatsoever because he's confident about his answers. But if I administer the test, I will argue with him about his answers. And then he usually comes to um, my side of it. If I bring it up and it's enough where I'm like arguing with him, then he tends to just like be like, oh, well, yeah, I guess you're right. So that, that makes me wonder, like, how accurate is he testing? <laughs> because I'm able to convince him otherwise. Um, so, yeah, I would say just remembering that they're just a tool. They're just another tool. And you don't have to get it exactly right. And even if you do pick all the things that you wish were true of yourself, you're still going to get some kind of a clue. Because if the if the final result is something you don't identify with, then you know that maybe you overstepped 
um, all the yeses that you gave. Maybe you overstepped a few of them and it, and then you just have to, you know, go back and fix it if you're that committed. <laughs> um, otherwise, you just read through all of the results and pick the one that you think is most like you. Um, but I think uh, remembering that it's just supposed to give you clues, just supposed to give you a starting place um, for making your decisions and for understanding the decisions you've made th thus far, so far. Um, it helps to sort of take the pressure off and it helps to admit things about yourself. And it also helps to know that nobody's going to go through and analyze each of your answers. Like literally nobody is going to care about these answers as much as you. So <laughs> um, you're free to answer them as you think is appropriate. Um, I think the one that I least enjoy but wish I enjoyed more is always the spiritual giftings one. Like, have you ever taken one of those where you take you take a questionnaire and it sort of gives you a clue as to where your strengths sort of naturally lie and how that matches up with a spiritual gift as listed in scripture and you're supposed to take that and, and figure out how you can apply that into your community and your church body and all that jazz. I don't like those tests. I have never taken one that I felt was, what do I want to say? Um thorough I guess it's all just like which of these good things do you do the most and it's like mm, I don't think that really gives you a full understanding of what your gift is um so yeah I always end up with the same ones though I always end up with like teaching uh wisdom um what's another one Sometimes worship is on there. Sometimes prophecy is on there, but I don't really think that that one fits. I think it's just me trying to make teaching more exciting or something. So, you know, that's, I don't think that it's completely accurate. I think that teaching is right on the money for sure, because I love doing that. But um, for other things, I think it's sort of, I don't know. It just doesn't seem very thorough to me. So maybe you just can't do that with a questionnaire. Maybe that's just something you get revealed to yourself as you go along. But anyways, I have rambled enough. I need to get back to doing my dishes and making some dinner. And I will talk to you later. I love that Billy Joel song. It's the sweetest thing. And you know what? You know what? It's, it's so funny. Like, I know that my spouse, my husband wants the best for me that he wants me to be the best version of myself as people say he wants me to keep growing and keep learning and all of those things but I also know that he loves me right now I also know that 10 years ago before I made any significant changes that he loved me a lot then too he loved me just the way I was then and he loves me just the way I am now so I don't know I just think that's sweet Oh, Victoria, I heard you today doing what I enjoy you doing, trying to hold what you love with an open hand. And th that includes like baking a chicken dinner and, you know, handing it to your family and not, not, not having to say, I hope you enjoy my chicken dinner. Also, I hope that I am a being that's worthy of being loved as well. <laughs> and I say that mostly because I think 
you know, one's self-worth is a terrible side to go along with chicken. Maybe with a veal, but never a chicken. I kept listening to the things you were saying, but I think I got confused. Did you say true love is putting other people first, or did you say to blave is putting other people first? I think you meant to blave, and I think that's also what you said. Yeah, let's just go with that.